Well, it's a mad situation we find ourselves in, isn't it? Gathering over Zoom on the 11th of February. BBC published a video of a US citizen that had fled from Wuhan. Here it is um, coming up. Only a few days after the first case was confirmed in the UK. The video was titled Coronavirus Quarantine. I haven't had freedom in a month. At that stage, it was pretty unclear of the impact of coronavirus in the UK and even globally. It wasn't really on my radar. I'd seen this, but I, I didn't think much of it. It slowly in the following days began to seem like it was going to be a big deal. And now here we are five weeks later sat on Zoom in various places around the UK. And I wonder if this week you said something similar to that US citizen. Coronavirus, it's taking my freedom. When you've not been able to buy what you want from the shop, when you've been isolated at home, when you've been stuck with the kids and there's nowhere to go, when you've had to work from home, when you've been scared of going out, when you're not able to attend that usual social gathering, what will be the next measure that the government is forced to take to take away our freedom? There's rumours already that there'll be steps in the coming 24 hours. But this evening, as we look at what the cross achieves, and how it liberates the person who trusts in Jesus. Hopefully what we'll see will be a real relief. Now I'm not claiming that understanding the cross rightly this evening will physically liberate you from your social distancing and your self-isolation tomorrow morning. But, but much of what we're feeling, much of the panic that people are feeling in light of the coronavirus, the lack of control, the entrapment, being self-absorbed in all that's going on, it's directly addressed by the freedom that Jesus gives when he gives his life up on the cross. So we're going to see three th things this evening. The pain in the search for freedom, the gift of true freedom, and then the freedom to honour God. Firstly then, the pain in the search for freedom. As we come to look at the cross, and what it achieves for us. We heard two weeks ago as we began our series, the essence of the cross, him for me. Three words, him for me. Jesus in my place, paying the punishment that I deserve. As we looked at 1 Peter 3.18, our key verse for the series, the righteous for the unrighteous. The position that we all had, unrighteous before God. It's a position of sin. Now, sin could be described as attempting to find freedom away from God, away from his rule, away from his constraints. But what does our culture equate freedom with? Well, it's the popular words of the soup dragons, because I'm free to do what I want, to be what I want any old time. I'm free to be who I choose to get my booze any old time. Freedom is doing what you want. Freedom is being what you want. Freedom is having what you want. Freedom is being able to buy booze or maybe toilet roll in our climate when you want. That's what our culture says. That's what our culture thinks. And that's why this time is such a struggle. Now, Jesus tells a story about that kind of freedom. 
you'll likely be familiar with the prodigal son. The story of the father and two sons is recorded in Luke 15. And it, it says this, talking of the younger son. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. See, the younger son is saying, Father, I want freedom from you, from your rule on this farm, your way. But I want your stuff and I want it now. The story carries on. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. He tasted what felt like freedom, only to be enslaved by his desire to self-indulge. He couldn't stop indulging until he had nothing. And he was enslaved then by his circumstances. He lived with the pigs. The younger son was looking for freedom, but found slavery and self-indulgence. Now, the story continues, despite his awful behaviour, the father welcomes him home, he takes him back. Which is when, then, we get a glimpse of the older son. The older son was far more respectable in the world's eyes. This is what it says about him as the, as the younger son comes home. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father saying, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, came home, you killed a fattened calf. See, he was equally desperate for freedom from the father's constraints. He didn't like the way the father operated. He didn't like the way the father welcomed his brother back. All along, he wanted the freedom to celebrate just a goat with his friends. Yet he played it straight-laced. He played the patient waiting game. For when he'd have freedom from his father, probably as the older son expecting the inheritance. But do you notice how he describes that time? All these years I've been slaving for you. Because he wants to be free from the father. That time he spent pretending, the time he spent living the father's way, it's felt like slavery. Both brothers are obsessed with trying to find freedom, freedom from constraints. They go about it very different ways, but both end up enslaved. The story goes on and beautifully describes the love of the father. God, who loves his sons and wants to share with them good things, even when they act horribly toward him. That's the picture of the God we have. And when we try and find freedom away from the father, we become slaves. In John 8, when Jesus says in the midst of a dispute about who really follows him, he says this, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now the people at the time listening, they're outraged. The people reply, 
but we've never been slaves of anyone. Jesus replied to them, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Maybe this evening you were listening online and you'd say the same thing. Maybe you're just listening and, and you wouldn't say you trust in Jesus. It's great to have you with us. Maybe you'd say the same as the people there listening in. I've never been a slave to anything. But you see, that's exactly what sin's like. It tries to enslave. How often in the day do you think about yourself? What others think of you? When you see a group photo pop up on social media, whose face is the one you look for first? How often is your first comment, either internally or externally, oh, I look awful in that picture, or oh, that's a good one, we'll keep that one. How do you assess the current state of coronavirus? Whose welfare, whose safety, whose security, whose success, whose enjoyment are you most bothered about? And you see how those things enslave us, how you could get stuck in your own head. Could you even go through a day without thinking those selfish thoughts, a morning, a minute? And see, we must recognize that because if sin tries to enslave, that's exactly what Jesus frees us from. Secondly, then, the gift of true freedom. Jesus was never self-centered and never lived just for his own desires, but instead he came to this earth and died a criminal's death on a cross. In that moment, he took on the burden of the sin, the selfishness of those who trust in him. And in that moment, he gave up his freedom, taking away the burden of our selfishness that we could become free. Him for me. That's what we saw there in the reading in Matthew 27, verse 23. I'll just read it again, where Jesus is brought before Pilate. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Jesus, the innocent man who used the true freedom that he really had both to honor God and sacrifice his life in order that you and me who are enslaved, who were enslaved by our selfish desires might be free to take his position in honoring God ourselves. It's scandalous. The most scandalous thing. Look at verse 26 in Matthew 27. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. It's that scandal. It's the greatest gift the world has ever seen. On the back of our series card, we've got 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. It's the most scandalous free gift the world's ever seen. And this evening, if you've not accepted that gift personally, would you consider accepting it? What Jesus offers on the cross is for anyone who will truly accept it. True freedom from the result of self-centeredness, God's anger at our behavior, but freedom from its enslavement now, which we'll see in a minute in light of coronavirus is a huge relief. On my maybe 10th or 9th birthday, I'm not sure, you can probably work it out from the picture about to come out, I got from my parents a gift 
of a red rally firefly. It was a huge occasion. In some ways, the best gift I've ever received. There you go. You can have a little chuckle. I'm glad my uh, everyone else's mic is muted. It meant freedom to do a paper round, to earn money, to spend time riding the streets of Letchworth Garden City. That red rally firefly was the best. I love spending hours on it, up and down the green you see behind me there on the screen. I love to ride it with friends, out on my own, do whatever I could, spend time on it, look after it. But the reality is, as time passed, it became a forgotten gift. Every now and again, around the streets of Bicester, I see someone riding a red rally firefly. And I reminisce about the good old days of being maybe 10 years old, riding around the streets of Letchworth. And it makes me smile. But at the same time, I have these pangs of guilt because I don't know what happened to that bike. It's just a distant memory. It's got no bearing anymore. I like it. It makes me smile. It was a great gift, but I don't know what it means anymore. Is that what's happened to you in the cross? What was at one moment the most incredible, momentous gift, a huge occasion? Has it lost its gravity? Or how will you be reminded in light of our circumstances at this Easter time of the truth about Jesus, how you can make it central? A book I was reading as a devotional book last year called The Preacher's Catechism writes this. The cross is all too often a doctrine to get right, to preach well, to keep believing and to share in our evangelism. All of that is right and essential. We can do all of that day by day only to live with unmoved hearts. We can subscribe to the cross, but not be moved by it. We can understand penal substitutionary atonement, gather all its supporting verses and even share with it the conviction. But if we're not gripped by its power in our own lives, it means nothing. Well, what is it? What is that power? How does the good news about Jesus transform us to live free lives now? Thirdly, then, freedom to honour God. Galatians 5 verse 1 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be See, in order to recognize that we live free lives now, we've got to recognize the burden, the yoke of slavery, which used to grip us. One way or another, we're enslaved to finding freedom in self-centeredness, whether it be rule breaking or an attempt at rule keeping. It's what some writers have described as total depravity, totally depraved. It's not that everything in us did pure evil all the time but that a person is incapable of doing any work that aids them being saved. Ephesians 2 described us as dead in our transgressions and sins. And it's vital that we recognize our past state, what we were, to see that the freedom that we now have, it's for freedom that you've been set free. It sounds so obvious. But unless we realize we weren't free, then it won't make much sense. 
Here's what Don McLeod says in a great book called Faith to Live By. These words of Galatians 5 verse 1 remind us that our liberty is not something peripheral or secondary. It's one of the most basic privileges in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was, in fact, to secure freedom that our Saviour died. Christ shed his blood to redeem us. That is to set us free. And that means that our liberty is something that is quite fundamental to our whole position as a people of God. It is something to hold fast, to cling to, to cherish for, for ourselves and to respect in others. See, the freedom that Jesus offers at the cross is not just a freedom to do what you want, be what you want any old time. It's the freedom to do the very best thing for you, to bring God glory. And when that change takes place in you, when you accept Jesus' work on the cross, it means that now by his spirit, that ability is now in you. The very fact that we have the ability to live with the desire to honour God is because Christ has set us free. That's what Jesus achieves for the person that trusts in him. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ, of God. Jesus' freeing work on the cross means we might begin to display his righteousness in the way that we're transformed to live like him. We're free to become like him. Well, you might ask, well, is that really freedom at all? If we're just being conformed to the likeness of Jesus? And the answer is yes, because it's the very best thing for us. You might be familiar with the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It asks, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, when someone trusts in Jesus and is freed by his work on the cross, it's the most satisfying thing for them to bring God glory. We're free to do that. Now, as we close, here's three things three ways that freedom makes a real difference to the life of the believer now. The work on the cross frees us from the rules of legalism. Legalism enslaves people like the older son. It says, when I mess up, I have to earn my way back to God. But the work on the cross frees us from that. It means that when we make a mistake, when we fall into sin, when we reflect on our past, we don't need to earn our way back to God. It means the shame of your past life is completely lifted by Jesus's work on the cross so that you're free to honour God and bring him glory. Secondly, it means the work on the cross brings a freedom from the sinful desires that fight for the attention of our hearts. When we trust in Christ, we have in us the person of the Holy Spirit that transforms us and empowers us to live more and more as free men and women. If you're not reading The Enemy Within in a growth group, I'd really recommend it because it's brilliant in knowing how to navigate that very freedom. And thirdly, the work on the cross brings a freedom from self-centeredness. The fear that people are facing right now at the moment in, in the face of COVID-19 can drive us to a real self-centeredness. The instinct is to shut up shop, 
to concentrate on me, to fight my way down the shopping aisles. But the freedom on the cross frees us from the self-centeredness that says, I am the most important thing. That we can be serving others, caring for others, as we deal together in these trying times. It's been brilliant already to see how the life of the church has been looking out for one another when we can't even really spend time together, hearing little snapshots of people that are going out of their way to look out for one another. But as the implications of government guidance become more restrictive, will we be a people who are self-obsessed, who are prone to moaning, or will we use our freedom to speak hope, to show a genuine love for others? Will we cling to Christ? All that means that while we're, we might not be free in our circumstances in the next two weeks, two months, 12 months, we might be free from the thoughts, motivations, worries that could grip our hearts every moment of every day. We can be free because we can cling to Christ. If you've not read this book, um, The Cross-Centered Life, I would really recommend it. It's short, it's simple, but it's brilliant. Here's the last couple of se- the last sentence from it. Every day of our Christian experience should be a day of relating to God on the basis of his grace alone. We're not only saved by his grace, but we also live by grace every day. See, when we trust in Jesus' work on the cross, we can have a freedom from those pressing things that can feel all-consuming. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus' freeing work on the cross. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to recognise the freedom that he's brought to those that trust in him, Lord, that we might bring you glory with the freedom that we have now to honour you especially, Lord, in light of this current circumstances. Lord, that we wouldn't be prone to the self-centeredness, but Lord, by your spirit, you continue to make us more and more like your son, Jesus. Amen.